So today we start a new sermon series, Seek First. And uh, I want to just share with you, when I was younger, uh, I would be at this moment of a new year, and I'd either be really, really encouraged about how the year's going, or I'd be really, really discouraged about how the year's going. And it was usually tied to this. How was I doing on actually executing the things, the goals, resolutions, whatever it was that I set out with on the beginning of the year? Because we are seven weeks into the new year, and we have six weeks left until the first quarter's done. And based upon how I was doing was depending upon how I'd feel about the new year. And so I just want to ask you, how are you doing on your goals for this year? Pretty good? Some of you are like, not good. Why are you bringing it up? You're, you're discouraged like I used to be when I was younger. And you might be in this moment where you go, I quit doing that a long time ago. And whether you're there or whether you're really into goals and resolutions, wherever you're at, here's my encouragement to you. If you're discouraged, have your moment of discouragement. Go, wham. There you go. And here's my encouragement to you. Start over. You can start new right now. You can start over right now. It really, I mean, it is a date in the calendar, but you can have the mindset, well, it's January 1. I can start over right now. You don't have to be discouraged. You don't have to be uh, disappointed. Uh, you can actually just say, you know what? I'm going to start now. I'm going to start over right now. But here's the question that I have for you is whatever it is that you've started or wanted to start and you failed and you're starting again, whatever that actually looks like, here's my big question for you is as you started 2024 and all the things that God has put on your heart or things you feel like maybe are, are important, is it actually centered around the kingdom of God? Is it centered around the kingdom of God? Are you actually seeking first and what would it look like if as you start new or have started new what would it look like for you to go you know what i'm gonna actually reevaluate what i'm doing and i'm gonna ask the question am i actually seeking first the kingdom of god and that can mean lots of different things even within regards to your health is your health something that you want to grow in but is it just your health at the end or is there something greater that god's inviting you in in regards to the kingdom you see, God's kingdom is not just something that's just categorized into certain subjects. It's actually supposed to encompass every aspect of our life. So what does that actually look like? What does it look like for God's kingdom to actually encompass every aspect of our life? And what does Jesus actually say about what the kingdom of God looks like? What does Jesus say in regards to what are the obstacles to experiencing the kingdom of God? And are we actually willing to look as disciples of Jesus to see what it means to be equipped for the journey of seeking after the kingdom of God? We're going to be looking at a section of scripture where Jesus begins to kind of lay out what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and what are the obstacles that keep us from actually doing that. If you got your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Matthew chapter 6 to start, and then our second passage is going to be Luke 12. But Jesus starts this conversation in Matthew chapter 6 by saying this, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Verse 33, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is in Matthew chapter 6. I want to go to Luke chapter 12. 
Because the same conversation Jesus is having from a different perspective is in Luke chapter 12. He says this, Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. Verse 31, But seek his kingdom... And these things will be given to you as well. And so before we keep moving forward on talking about seeking first the kingdom of God, in this next story that Jesus actually shares in Luke chapter 12, I just want to talk about the kingdom of God really quick. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is Jesus' rule and reign here on earth. And it's meant to take residency in your heart. It's God's rule and reign, Jesus' rule and reign here on earth that's meant to take residency in your heart because Jesus' rule and reign is about him partnering with his children to be about his purposes here on earth. And it's meant to start now. It's not something we have to wait for into eternity, although it's meant to, it's going to be for eternity. He's actually inviting us as disciples of Jesus to actually wrestle with his words and ask the question, will I partner with him to be about his purposes here on earth. And with that, Jesus invites us to be about his purposes, but we also know as that we are a part of his purposes that there is an active, active threat in our hearts that is opposite to God's kingdom. So we gotta ask ourselves this morning as we begin to start this journey is, is what is it that Jesus wants to do in seeking first his kingdom and how do I make sure that I begin to evaluate my heart against the things that go against what God wants? I want to throw out a couple passages for you. Luke chapter 10, Jesus is starting this process of equipping his disciples on learning how to minister. He sends them out in a group of 70. And the reason why he's doing this is because the first part of Luke, it's, it's full of miracles and full of things that Jesus is doing, full of amazing stories. But the story starts to change in the second half of Luke. It starts to get pretty intense with Jesus. Jesus is being super intentional about taking his disciples and sending them out and equipping them. And the conversation is getting more and more, can I say, maybe abrupt or maybe bold as Jesus is addressing things that are important. And this is important because towards the end of Jesus' life, Jesus is eventually going where? He's eventually going to the, the cross. And Jesus' job is not to just die for the sins of the world. That is, that is, like, really important. But if all he ever did was die for the sins of the world and didn't equip his disciples, who would carry on the message after him? And so he's getting really to a point where he's like, I got to get these guys ready. I got to get these guys ready. And so he begins to send them out, equipping them to minister. And then he brings them back and he begins to debrief with them. How did that go? What did you experience? Highs, lows. What could you have done differently? They go and have these quiet conversations to themselves. And then in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is having a quiet conversation with his disciples about how to pray. And what praying looks like. And we're actually in the middle of this conversation in Luke chapter 12, where Jesus is having a really clear conversation with his disciples because he's actually beginning to tell them there are obstacles to actually ministering in God's kingdom. There are things that get in the way of seeking first. And he begins to talk to them about the Pharisees, about how they have influence. Be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees, that they are critical, they are hypocritical. 
They are religious. Do not associate, do not partner with them. They are actually an obstacle to experiencing my kingdom. In addition to that, you need to understand, don't fear man. Instead, fear those that can punish your soul and your body. Be fearful of like eternity and understand this, that God actually cares for you. And so if there's anybody you should fear, it's God, not man, and, and that God actually believes in you, loves you, knows all the details of your life, and then the crowds just keep pressing in. Jesus keeps trying to spend time with his disciples to equip them, but the crowds keep pressing in, and they keep interrupting Jesus oftentimes. He's preaching to the crowds. He's loving the crowds. He's, he's doing his best to minister to them, but he's really trying to spend time with his 12 because he knows his time is coming to an end. And sure enough, as he's having conversation with his disciples— the crowds keep entering in. And sure enough, this guy in verse 13 comes in. Someone in the, what's it say? Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? What is Jesus saying? He's saying, Bro, seriously. Have a conversation with my disciples, and you want me to enter in to this conversation. I'm supposed to be the one that is an arbiter, a judge between you and your family. And then Jesus does what he always does. He addresses the man's conversation, but he's also doing two things at once. He addresses this man's conversation, and then he uses it as a teachable moment to draw his disciples in closer to get to the heart of the matter of the conversation. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of, what's that word? Greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. I think it's plain to see that Jesus wants disciples who guard against all kinds of greed. And on the surface, as we look at that, that Jesus wants us to guard our hearts against all kinds of greed. And we look at that reality. We have that up there? Next slide. This is like, well, yeah, duh. I've heard this. I've, I've read Luke chapter 12. Here's my challenge to you. Do you really know what that looks like? Because greed is, again, one of those words that's kind of like what we talked about, I don't know, three months ago about patience. We go, oh, I know what patience is. And then when we really look at patience, we go, oh, long-suffering? Oh, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Greed is kind of the same thing. Oh, yeah, greed. Uh, yeah, that's not good. But I don't do that. I'm not greedy. But do we know what it actually means? Do we understand the depth of greed? The ESV puts it this way, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. And then we go, oh, covet. Now we're starting to get to a little bit of the heart of the matter, to covet something, to, to long for something. The Greek word is pleonexia, a desire to have more. Now we're starting to get to the heart of it. A desire to have more. Jesus says, 
Be on guard against all kinds of things where you desire to have more because life consists of way more than an abundance of possessions. How important is it for God's children, God's people, his disciples, to understand the weightiness of what we wrestle with in regards to greed and the weightiness of how this actually begins the process of removing us from the kingdom of God if we're not careful. Paul has some really harsh, strong, harsh words about this idea of greed. Colossians chapter 3. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and... Dang. Like the same level of sexual immorality? Yeah, same level of sexual immorality which is idolatry because of these the wrath of god is coming first corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor men who have sex with men nor thieves nor the greedy nor drunkards nor slanders nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. First Timothy chapter 6, those who want to get rich fall into temptation, into a trap, into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You and I, if we want to experience the kingdom of God and all that God has for us, we have to be on guard against greed to be effective in God's kingdom. It is what draws us away from the things that God actually invites us into. A life in him that is consistent of way more than an abundance of possessions. How do you do that in a world, in a country, where we are the richest people on earth? How do you do that? And can we at least be honest as disciples of Jesus in America that if we are the richest people in the world, this is probably something we ought to lean into. Would you agree this morning? And some of you are like, dude, I'm in high school. I don't have any money. I work. Well, you probably aren't on minimum wage based upon the fast food restaurants I've seen lately. You're getting paid more than minimum minimum wage. But just when we say greed and rich and desire for money we have this tendency to compare ourselves to other people in america the bible does not compare americans to americans the bible is comparing us to the world and if you have if you make ten thousand dollars a year you're richer than 81 percent of the world so when the bible talks about the rich it's talking about us how do we actually guard against greed? Jesus actually gives us the playbook. Verse 16, he goes on to tell a story. He told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store up my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for 
yourself. First thing I want you to notice, I'm just going to repeat back to you what the rich fool says from his mouth, what I would argue from his heart. Because Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when we speak, we're actually speaking from our very souls what we actually believe. So I just want you to listen. He says, what shall I do? This is what I'll do. I will tear down. I will store. I'll say to myself, I'll take life easy. Drink and be merry. What's the common word you heard over and over again? I. Which when you get into a small group of real life, one of the things that we ask you to do and the guidelines we ask you, would you be willing to use I language? Because when you use I language instead of we language or the church, we actually begin the process of taking ownership of our faith when we use I language. Is that making sense to you this morning? This is what we want. We want people to use I language. We want people to take ownership. But do you notice how this man is taking ownership, but notice where his ownership is actually rooted in. It's actually rooted in him believing that he's the one that has become rich, is rich, and then he's the one that's going to store all these things up for himself. It's a picture of the rich fool having potentially what I would argue is wrong belief systems. And so as we listen to this man speak, we have to be on guard against all types of greed. How do we do that? Would you be willing to listen to yourself talk? Would you be willing to listen to your inner voice, your soul? What do you think about in regards to your possessions, the things that God's given you? Do you see them as things that you own or do you see them as things that God has entrusted in you to steward? Are you listening to yourself talk? And I just want to tell you, this is another reason why you should get connected to a group because you begin to learn to listen to yourself talk. And there'll be moments in small group where you go, ooh, I don't like the way that sounded. But it is part of the sanctifying process of you learning to grow where you begin to recognize, I actually believe things that aren't true. And God in his grace in relationship with other people begins to reveal truth in your heart that you need to surrender to. If we're going to battle against greed, we have to be listening to what's going on inside of me. What do I actually believe? What do I actually trust? Recognize that Jesus said to watch out for all kinds of greed. Recognize all kinds of greed is the second step. Recognize all kinds of greed. Greed is one of those things that it doesn't play favorites. It impacts every single person in this room. I like the analogy that was used in one of the articles that I read, that greed is kind of like a termite. When you go to a home, most of the time, do you even know that there's termites in the home? No, they burrow into the very foundation of the house. And then when you pull out some drywall, or maybe you see a termite run across the room, you go, oh my goodness. I think our house has termites. And then you realize, oh, this has been going on in the back of my mind and my heart for maybe months, years. I need to address this issue. Greed is the same way. There's all different types of greed that impact our souls. And I love this, this uh, some excerpts from this book from Godonomics by Chad Hubbing. He says there's four different kinds of greed. 
We've already talked about the weightiness agreed, but he says there's four different types. I want you to listen to this. The first one is hoarding. And you might be saying, oh, I'm good. Like, I'm not a hoarder. Because you've seen the shows, right? You go, whoa, like, I'm glad my house isn't like that. And maybe if you're struggling with hoarding, in that regard, you might be saying, man, yeah, I know I struggle with this. I've got to figure it out. But I want to tell you, hoarding isn't what you maybe think it is. Chad says this, this type of greed tends to find a home in the heart of the conscientious, disciplined, organized people. What? He says, it preys on a person's ability to diligently set aside savings, adding regularly to the total. Of course, this is something we should all be doing. However, greed in the life of a hoarder leads him, leads him to believe that he can't be generous with his money until he has set aside enough money to ensure a comfortable retirement. The hoarder is insecure about the future. His willingness to trust money rather than God with his future drives him to ignore the needs of other people. He feels his first responsibility is to amass enough assets to secure what he assumes will be a safe future. But a hoarder falls into the trap of using all his resources to benefit only one person, himself. This is a really fine line for us in America. Would you agree? The Bible says that it's wise to set aside money for a savings account. The Bible says it is wise to set aside money and to be a blessing to generation to generation in regards to inheritance. The Bible says all that. However, if we're not careful, we quickly become like the rich fool who has his faith dependent upon his barns and looks around and is not generous to those that God is inviting us to be generous, that we are not rich back towards God and what he's asking us and inviting us to do. I love that we have people in our church that are willing to live in that tension. The reason why I say that is because as I was meeting with some people talking about this passage, I got an email, I got an email back from one of the attendants of this conversation we were having about the, this, this passage, and he said this. He goes, as someone who's retired, this passage is challenging to me to ask the question, am I doing what God wants for me and his church? And I love the humility to at least wrestle with that. I love the humility to go, am I doing what God wants me to do? Who's someone who has retired or who has, who has saved to walk that line. To do what God's asked me to do, a good steward of my money. But in it, it can quickly become an idol. Are you with me this morning, church? So are you a hoarder? Number two, overspending. This form of greed, he says, fits easy into the life of an impatient person. The overspender confuses needs with wants, and as a result, spends more than her income allows, thus leading to debt. She wants things now and is willing to use credit to avoid having to wait. Let me just say, I'm not sure why he went to a female tense in regards to this section. I didn't write it, okay? Just saying. Overspending, form of greed. I learned the pains of this my junior year in high school. 
I opened up an account. I was working. I was putting money in there. And I went to withdraw some money out of an ATM machine, not really knowing how to live off of a budget, not really doing a good job of being a good steward, a manager. And I withdrew some money, $100. And I got my receipt back that said what my available balance is. And it said negative 200 and some dollars. And I went, whoa, how did that happen? I began to learn that there are things that are pending in your account that you need to account for. And then I got all the fees associated with that negative balance as well. I will say I got a little bit better when it comes to a budget, but I got really good when my wife and I got married. Bless her. Overspending. Needing something now. Comparison. Says greed feeds the competitive sense that it's imperative to match the lifestyle of someone else. It drives you to spend and keep on spending as a way to show that you're equal to a neighbor, friend, coworker, relative. This form of greed is closely aligned with envy. Last one, entitlement. Greed preys on everyone, no matter what their net worth statement looks like. When you believe the lie that abundance comes from your possessions, you will find greed lurking in the shadows. Greed lies behind a feeling of entitlement, the sense that someone else owes you something. An entitled person believes a lie. I don't have the money for it, so somebody else ought to buy it for me. After all, I deserve it, and I deserve deserve it without having to work for it. This face of greed always displays a lack of gratitude and often reveals anger. Entitlement sends people on a consuming binge, and it's easy to accept the mistaken idea that the rich people are the greedy ones. So what do we do? Recognize all forms of greed. Verse 21, Jesus says this. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. How do I guard my heart against all kinds of greed? I recognize all kinds of greed, but number three, be rich towards God. Being rich towards God begins the process of actually combating the things that are going on inside of my heart. What does it mean to be rich towards God? Number one, learning to put him first in your finances through tithing. What does this do? It gives God what is naturally his first. It reinforces the belief system that I have, that we should have, that it's, it's this idea that what I've received isn't mine, it's been entrusted to me, and now I'm giving back to God what is naturally his, and it begins the process of actually continuing the belief system that combats greed, combats hoarding, combats the reality of the things that go against God's nature and his kingdom. He's inviting us to actually be rich towards him, to put him first. This year, we, uh, if you didn't know, we emailed out all of our giving statements from the year previous before we did a mailer, and our finance team emailed them all out. And we received those, and we printed those off, and me and Natalie started our taxes. And as I saw that giving statement and gave it to her to, for us to start the process of doing our taxes, I looked at it and I asked her this question. Do you think people get, look at their giving statement and go, man, look at all the money. Look what I could do. Look what I could do. Do they ever second guess giving to God's kingdom? She goes, I don't know whether they do or don't. 
She goes, well, I can tell you this. I look at that and go, look at how much God's blessed us in our ability to give to him. The ability for us to look and reflect and go, look at what God is doing and has done. And we get to be blessing back to him, to his kingdom. God's inviting us to evaluate our hearts, to be rich towards him. Number two, learning to be obedient to the Holy Spirit when a generous opportunity arrives. You see, God's not just inviting us to just go, you know what, I'm gonna write a check to Jesus, to his church, and then I'm good to go. No, he's inviting us to be a people that are always asking the question, what are you inviting me into next, God? Who are the people that God is putting in front of me that he wants me to be a blessing to? And what would it look like if we as his people were asking that question all the time of saying, Lord, how do I live under the rule and reign of your kingdom here on earth? And what does it look like for me to enter in in a relationship to bless people? You know, one of the things that I love about our church is when blessings come like children the meal trains that are started and the just gobs of people that sign up for a meal train to bless somebody like every single time I open up that email and I'm like alright I gotta find a spot sometimes I can't even find a spot they're already full why? because you understand that you're called to be a blessing to people as the Holy Spirit opens up opportunities for you to do a blessing, you enter into that. Here's the other thing. When tragedy strikes, and you, you lose a loved one, the blessing you are to one another, meal trains, listening over a coffee or a meal to someone hurting, to say, you know what? I want to buy you coffee. I want to buy you lunch. I want to buy you dinner. I want to spend time with you. I want to hear what's going on in your heart. These are all pieces that God's inviting us to be in regards to his people, to be a blessing when there's an opportunity to be a blessing, to be generous, to give our time, to give our emotional energy to somebody who's hurting. Jesus is inviting you to enter into his kingdom to bring his rule and reign here on earth. And lastly, learning to live off of whatever you've received. Learning to live off of that. Say, you know what? This is enough. Whatever it is that God's given me, it's enough. And if I steward it well, I know he'll be a blessing to allow me to steward more. But whatever it is, it's enough that God's going to give me this opportunity. Because Jesus wants disciples, at the very end of the day, this is what it comes down to. Jesus wants disciples that take on his nature. And Jesus' nature is a selfless nature. Jesus' life was a selfless life. And the only way he was able to give of himself over and over and over again is because he was rooted in the Father. And ultimately what it comes down to is Jesus loved. And what Jesus wants you to do is to love he wants disciples to experience the full life that he offers. That it's not in an abundance of stuff. That's actually rooted in him and a relationship with other people. He wants you to love him and to love others. 
And so we, as Jesus' church, get the opportunity to ask this question, how can I do this? How can I guard my heart against all greed? What does it mean to be rich towards God? And what if this week we sat in our home groups and we opened up about seeking first the kingdom of God? What if we listened to what was going on inside of us? And what if we were brave enough to know, to say this, you guys, what I'm about ready to share, I know isn't right, but it's what I'm wrestling with. And you were with a group of people that just listened to you, work through what you really believe about the kingdom of God. And people didn't judge you, but they listened to you. And then when you said, can you give me some feedback? They gave you the truth and love. Ultimately, what if we were just Jesus' church this week? What if we were to do it together? What if we were to be selfless together? What other lives could we impact this week for Jesus and his kingdom if we lived a generous, selfless life? As we get ready for communion, I want to invite you to just reflect on what we talked about this morning. And if you didn't receive the elements as you came in, love for you to receive the elements by just raising your hand. I know these amazing people, Jim and Jolene, would love to serve you the elements. And as we reflect on today about seeking first the kingdom of God and guarding our heart against greed, let me ask you this question as we wrap up, really. At the end of the day, Jesus in his life, we take on his very nature. So what is it that's keeping you from taking that on? And recognizing that God is a generous, generous God. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so what is it that you need this week? What is it you need right now? And what is your next step? And can you have a conversation with Jesus about that right now? This is what I need, Lord. This is what I think my next step is have a conversation with him and recognizing he loves you and he's paid the price for you. Let's have a conversation with Jesus and get ready to have communion together.